So we'll be reading from John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51, which is page 1064. So John chapter 35 to 51, 1064. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave from Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Fun. There you go. All right. Thank you very much, Arwen. And uh, again, thank you for the welcome and even in the first service, all the support and encouragement. And uh, it's been lovely to be with you this weekend for the men's day yesterday and preaching at both services. And uh, I, was, I wasn't going to say this, but uh, just because it's Remembrance Sunday, I was kind of maybe prompted or whatever. I was thinking about Michelle, my wife, who Whenever I preach, likes to sit at the back. Not because we've fallen out. <laughs> She's just, honestly, we haven't. Um, but uh, her great her granddad was called John, and he died a few years ago, a few months before his hundredth birthday. And he fought in the Second World War and was shot through the leg and spent a long time in hospital, and then went back to the front line and actually ended up at Dunkirk. That amazing time in our nation's life when uh, literally it looks like all was lost, as hundreds of thousands of our crack troops were stuck on the French border and the Germans were advancing and going to wipe out our troops and probably the result of that would have been that we lost the Second World War and we'd be living in a very different country now all these years later, if that had happened. But there was a miracle took place. The king called a national day of prayer and the churches were crowded with people crying out to God to have mercy on the British Isles. And uh, somebody came up with this idea, let's man every little boat going and a flotilla of boats will go across to Dunkirk and rescue these 300,000 plus troops. And it went on for days on end and all the troops were brought back in the most remarkable way. And the channel was like a mill pond 
as these little boats went over. And then as the Nazis uh, attacked, there was an incredible storm and all this good stuff. And actually, it was a pivotal point in the Second World War as people prayed. Prayer is a powerful thing, you know. Do you realise how powerful prayer is? Not just for your personal life, but for the sake of this nation. And we need to be praying more than ever at a time like this when, you know, so many are, are turning away from Christ and so many crazy things are happening in our society at the moment. But also, while the nation is absolutely ripe for the gospel, on the back of the COVID-19 pandemic and the cost of living crisis and so much more, this is an amazing time if the church can rise up and pray and engage in mission. But anyway... Michelle's granddad, John, was there at Dunkirk, and he was on the British side of the channel. And for three days, he told me as a very old man that he stood up to his thighs in the water, rescuing these troops, pulling them off these little boats. And he said the the sea was blood red as he brought these troops in. And after three days, night and day, pulling these people in, he collapsed on the beach, utterly exhausted. And he told me this with tears in his eyes. As he collapsed on the beach, he said a beautiful nurse came up and she took his boots off. And with his boots came all the skin off his feet. He spent three days, night and day, rescuing people. He was in such pain. He was utterly exhausted. But what boy was he glad he did that. As an old man, he was able to say to me, Andy, I was involved in a rescue mission that changed this nation. Maybe you've never heard of John O'Neill, but he was there. And as a very old man, he was proud of those great days. In fact, they were the greatest days of his life. I tell you that because when I'm an old man, you know, maybe if God allows me to live to 99, I want to have some war stories. I want to say I was involved in rescuing people for Jesus. I want to say I made great sacrifices. Sometimes I stayed up late. I gave finances. I gave time. I prayed my socks off. I got involved with dragging people out of hell and into heaven in Jesus' name. I don't want to live a miserable life just me-centered. I want to do some great things in Jesus' name. And maybe being together in church this morning, God wants to stir us up afresh to some great costly adventures that when we're old people in our rocking chairs or maybe a hundred years time we're in heaven together we'll be so glad we got involved in can I just pray Lord I pray that you will indeed by your spirit stir us up we've only got this one life and it's a short life and we want to make it count for you I pray you will help Christians in this room to realize the rescue is on The days are short short, and the need is urgent. And I pray as I speak, Holy Spirit, you will speak through me. Thank you for your Bible. What a precious gift. Speak, Lord. Maybe just say that in the quiet. Speak to me, Lord. I believe in a God who speaks, loves to speak to people whose hearts and minds are open to him. So we open ourselves to you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so I want to speak out that passage from John chapter 1, the, the calling of the, the first four disciples, and thanks for reading it. The thing I discovered as I was preparing this message, that historians tell us that those first disciples were actually young lads. Historians tell us that they were almost certainly between 14 and 22 years of age when Jesus called them. Now, I love the fact that when Jesus wanted to change the world, he formed a youth group, don't you? 
I love the fact he formed a team, he built a team, and what a team they were. What were you thinking of, Jesus? Such a ragbag bunch. The Pharisees, a little bit later on, called them unschooled ordinary men. They were dead ordinary, they were dead down to earth, they were working class fellas, young boys. What was Jesus thinking of? You know, come on Jesus, why not do it on your own? Wonderfully, gloriously, perfectly, why let this lot get involved? I'll tell you why, because that is Jesus' great joy and it's his great plan. And today, Jesus wants to call disciples. The only thing Jesus is counting is disciples. He's not counting hands in the air. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a few moments if you want to give your life to Christ. But truly, Jesus isn't really counting hands in the air. He's counting disciples, followers of his. And his great joy is to raise up through frail, inconsistent people like me, world changers. Inconsistent, frail people like you, world changers. Doing things you could never do on your own. But when he comes and he fills you with his spirit and he empowers you and you follow him, the world doesn't know what's hit it. The rescue mission is on. Does that sound exciting? (laughs) One person on the front row thinks so, that's good. Anyway, in Jesus' day, rabbis were everywhere. They were always surrounded by disciples who literally used to follow in their footsteps. Behind these teachers, these religious leaders in this religious society were followers who used to follow behind the rabbi, learning from him. And rabbis would have followers coming to them saying, please, can I be your disciple? Would you allow me to be in your disciple? And when they were trained after a few years being the disciple, they would then set up their own groups of disciple. It's a good model. It's the model we've used for advance. You know, we gather in groups of 12 to sharpen each other and encourage each other to be accountable to each other about our mission and our lifestyle. And then we look to multiply it. Funnily enough, though, it's not the model Jesus used. He didn't wait for people to come to him. He went and called out this very ordinary group of people. And interestingly, in the Bible, it tells us the first two he sought out were someone else's disciples were John the Baptist's disciples. Bit of a cheat, really, to be fair. Just the sort of thing that winds up Christian leaders. I've seen the fallout. You know, somebody leaves my ministry and goes to serve in that ministry. I've seen people getting chipped up and falling out about that kind of thing. Not for John the Baptist. Maybe the reason John the Baptist, or part of the reason John the Baptist was called the greatest Christian who's ever lived up to that point, the great Jesus said, this is the greatest man who's ever lived up to this point, was just because he was all about Jesus. It's not about his little ministry. It's about Jesus. It's all about him. And he was prepared to give away his very best. And actually, John the Baptist, what was his motto? He must become greater, I must become less. Wow. Even though he was famous throughout Israel, his thing was, he must become greater, I must become less. And the first one of John the Baptist's disciples who signed up as Jesus' disciple was called Andrew. Andrew's a fascinating character because all Andrew's known for in the Bible is inviting people. Everywhere he goes, he invites people. He's not, you know, his brother is the big leader. 
We'll come to him in a moment. His brother was the great, great leader, the dynamic level five leader, who the communicator, the charismatic personality, a bit all over the place, to be fair. But that was his brother. Andrew was a much quieter character, but he was always inviting people. And you might know the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association have some resources that we work, they work with churches still now, even though Billy's in heaven. Whenever they do a mission, they do something called Operation Andrew. Operation Andrew is basically invite your mates. You may not be the big platform preacher, but you can invite people. You can invite people to Jesus. And every Christian is called to invite people to Jesus. You know that. In fact, if you don't want to invite people to Jesus, there's something desperately wrong with your walk. First thing Jesus says to any man, woman, boy or girl is, come, come to me. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. Come to me if you're sick of your sin. Come to me if you want a place in heaven when you die. I'm the only one who can give you that place. I can also give you a power to live right until you get there. Come, it's the great invitation. Guess what the second thing that Jesus says to any man, woman, boy or girl is? What is it? Go, it's go. The second thing is go, go into your world and share the good news and invite people. So we have the great joy, myself and Michelle, to help lead a church in Manchester. It's never part of the plan to plant a church. In fact, I'd said for many years, we're never going to plant a church. You know, we're going to serve alongside the local church. But we planted a community grocery on the back of COVID in Manchester and saw literally hundreds of people from this housing estate on the edge of our headquarters in Manchester. Hundreds of people, just at the time the church that was meeting in our building shut down. And we had all these baby Christians and no one to disciple them. And the only thing Jesus has counted is disciples. And so we planted a church and they'll be meeting now. And it's a beautiful church, 80%. There's about 650 people who would now call this church home after a, just over 12 months. And, and it's precious and and there's a young lad there who almost certainly now called Tyson who will be running around causing problems in the church. He's got ADHD. He's a little bit wacky. He's what we call in Manchester a scally. But Tyson has definitely got saved. He got saved through one of our bus projects when our bus went out into Withenshaw. And the thing I truly love about Tyson, he's an Andrew. He's on his own personal Operation Tyson. And that is basically anything that moves gets invited to church. So Tyson's mum's become a Christian, his stepdad's become a Christian, his brother, his best mate. And we baptised them all this year. And today at church, Tyson will be like a bit leery all over the place. But his whole family's there. And loads of his mates and all his extended family. Because he's got gripped by something and he's inviting people. Imagine if the whole church was a bit more like Tyson. You know what happened? Revival only thing that's stopping God moving in this nation in a powerful way is people who aren't confident enough with the gospel to invite their friends. Invite your friends. The gospel works. Andrew's brother was called Simon. He was the first person he invited. He's the second of the disciples. Jesus immediately nicknamed him Peter, which means Rocky. He saw him, you know, he said, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. You're like, there's something strong about you, something amazing about you, Simon. And I'm sure all the other people who were around at that point were like, yeah, him. <laughs> He's a foul-mouthed, hot-headed, impetuous, crazy fisherman. But Jesus saw something in him. Jesus saw potential. Jesus saw leadership. 
Jesus said, this is the one on which I'm going to build my church. This is the guy who's going to lead this incredible movement as it goes out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the far ends of the earth after I've risen from the dead. And sure enough, Jesus, through the massive roller coaster of Simon's life, was absolutely right. I don't know about you, but I can kind of relate to Peter in some good ways, but in a lot of not so good ways. You know, foot in mouth ways, I can relate to Peter. A little bit passionate, a little bit over the top sometimes, I can relate to Peter. Does monumentally stupid things every now and again, I can relate to Peter. But the beautiful thing about Peter is he had a heart. I can relate to Peter, I can't really relate to the next guy who Jesus called. He was called Philip. I love him, but he's quiet and he's kind of behind the scenes. And he often in the Gospels and in the New Testament appears a little bit out of his depth. He's a background personality. He's vital in the kingdom of God. And Jesus went out of his way to call him, bring him in close, invest in his life and release him. You know, maybe you can't be uh, Simon Peter, the level five leader, the great preacher, the dynamic leader. But you most certainly can be a Philip. You can be a servant who makes Dave's life a joy. You can serve in this church. You can be the first that rocks up on Thursday night to pass the Christmas parcels and deliver them out into the community and serve and go. And you see, imagine if you could get the dynamic mix of Andrew inviting, Simon, bold proclamation, unashamed of the gospel, and Philip, servant, Serving, 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 going beyond himself. Honestly, Cardiff wouldn't know what's hit it. The final member of our Fantastic Four is called Nathaniel. And he's a little bit different. Every chance that he's a good religious guy, but let's be fair, he's a bit stuck up. Because Nathaniel discovered, as Philip said, come and see. Come and see this guy. I think he might even be the saviour of the world. Come and see for yourself, Nathaniel. He's called Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And Philip's first thought is, Jesus from Nazareth? Do you know what Nazareth is like? You know, Nazareth was the rough place in the northwest of Israel. All the best things come from the northwest, by the way. It was the rough place. They spoke with a broad accent. It was little more than a bunch of caves in Jesus' day. Rough, poor, working class neighbourhood. And as soon as, soon as Nathaniel heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, he was like, Oh, could anything good come from Nazareth? <laughs> but I tell you something very, very good. In fact, somebody perfect, the son of the living God, came from Nazareth. And Jesus, because he's God, could even see the end from the beginning and, and said to Nathaniel, I could see you, mate. He didn't say mate. I've just put that in there. I could see you when you were on the fig tree, even before you came here. And something broke in Nathaniel's heart. And he said, you're the son of God. You're the saviour of the world. Philip's right. You're the one we've been waiting for. And in that moment, I believe Nathaniel made that incredible step that so many people are making all around the world today. He went from religion to relationship. 
He went from thinking you've got to do lots of stuff to earn your way to heaven to realising Jesus had done it all. God had stepped down from heaven to earth on this incredible rescue mission. And over the following months, over the next three and a half years, Nathaniel discovered that Jesus really was God and Lord of all who'd come on this rescue mission. He heard his incredible teaching, the greatest teaching the world's ever heard. How about that? I had some... Professor saying, there's been no advance on the intellectual teaching of Jesus in all history. Flip, he grew up in Nazareth. He never went to university. He never wrote a book. He didn't have all the, you know, but he was God. His words, read his words, read his teaching in the New Testament. It's the very word of God. He did these extraordinary miracles to prove he was who he said he was. And then he died on a cross. Criminal's death. Simon and Andrew and Nathaniel and Philip journeyed this massive roller coaster. And that moment for them, imagine what that was like. They thought it was all over. And they'd heard Jesus say he was going to build a church. The church was going to go on into eternity. They'd heard him say, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Anybody love the Queen's funeral? Hearing Liz Truss read those words, she chose those words, our Queen. Because he is the way, the truth, life. The way, the truth, the life. They'd heard Jesus say, no one gets to God except through me. And yet there he was, hanging on a cross, dying a criminal's death. And I'm sure the Pharisees were like, yeah, you're going to build a church. Look at the state of you. You die in this horrible death on a cross. And yet, because he was who he said he was, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to God through him. He's the only way to God. He's come on this incredible rescue mission. Not only did he die on a cross for our sins and take the punishment that we deserve, he rose from the dead. And guess what? Here we are, 2,000 years later. And guess what? Today, the 13th of November, more people are going to come to know Jesus around the world than at any time since he rose from the dead. Did I hear somebody go, hallelujah? (laughs) It's phenomenal. We're on the winning team. Jesus does what he said. He rose from the dead. And he's alive. And Nathaniel and Simon and Andrew and Philip and all the rest of the disciples took that gospel to the far ends of the earth. And they spent all their time saying, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And there's hundreds of millions of us around the world who've come to Jesus because of their obedience. And because Jesus breathed on them and sent them. The Pharisees called them unschooled, ordinary men. But they recognised they'd been with Jesus. That's all we can be, is just ordinary men and women. Ordinary blokes and girls, but if we're with Jesus and we get Jesus' heart and he fills us with his spirit and he sends us out on his mission. One of the things I really love about the Bible is all those prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus' life. And one by one, Nathaniel, the religious guy, would have been spotting it. Jesus, wow, He's fulfilled this prophecy. He's fulfilled that prophecy. He's fulfilled this prophecy. You know, there are over 300 very specific prophecies written way before Jesus came to earth that, that you could never fix. You can't fix the place you're born. You can't fix what people do to you. You certainly can't fix the way you die. But a thousand years before Jesus, did you know this? 
It's prophesied. Read it in Psalm 22, written a thousand years before Jesus, before crucifixions even invented. It says, he will be pierced through his hands and feet. And they must have thought, that's a weird one. What's that all about? But of course, then the most brutal form of execution and death was invented by the Romans. And Jesus was surely as prophesied. Now, there may be some people who, you know, were born in Bethlehem who were, died on a cross. Maybe there were people who were, you know, born from David's line, in David's family line, whose friends betrayed them or whatever it is. You know, maybe there were people who, maybe there were people whose friends, you know, gambled for their clothing or whatever of that, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe there's people who fulfilled one or two of those prophecies. There's only one man who filled well over 300 every single Old Testament prophecy. What's his name? What's his name? Ah, Jesus. It's like God's massive spotlight. He is the one. He really is. And if you've got eyes to see, you can see it. And look what's happened through history. Myself and Michelle get the privilege of traveling around the world. Two weeks ago, we were in Kenya. Before that, we were in Uganda, then South Africa. And we travel the world seeing what Jesus Church is doing. It's absolutely spectacular. This guy who died as a young man on a criminal's death and he never set foot out of a little country the size of Wales. But look what he's done in the world. We're on the winning team. It's not always easy. Of course, it wasn't easy for the disciples. Flip, most of them were martyred. All four of these guys were martyred just for following Jesus. But it is worth it. We're on the winning team as we go out confidently, boldly, just saying, come to Jesus. Making the most of every opportunity. Those who've got preaching gifts, preach it. If you haven't got the preaching gift, share it with your friends. Invite people to the party. If your thing's serving, serve your socks off. Let's just work together to make Jesus known in this generation. Sounds good, doesn't it? It is good. It's amazing. And it's true. And it's real. And I believe God wants to stir up some fresh passion in you this, this morning. Because COVID-19 and everything that's happening in our nation for lots of Christians has been a proper passion killer. Let's get passionate again. Let's make sure this Christmas is a massive season of come and see for Highfields Church. Let's even now think about your family members and your friends and uni colleagues and people you know, you can invite along to the party, say, come, come, and they'll receive that greatest prize of all. I was preaching, last thing I'll say this, before we do a little, if you want to give your life to Christ, you certainly can this morning. I was preaching at this uh, big Christian festival called New Wine a little while ago, and you know, it's a Christian Bible teaching festival, And but I felt like I wanted to do what I'm about to do now. If you want to give your life to Christ... In fact, this time I did. Come and stand at the front. In a minute, I'll just do raise your hand if you're not a Christian and you really want to be a Christian. Not that raising your hand makes you a Christian, but you're just saying, this is my day, here I am God. And we'll pray a prayer, all of us. And honestly, it'll change your life if you mean it. I've seen it thousands of times. But anyway, I'm preaching at this Christian festival and I felt like I wanted to say, come out and stand at the front if you want to give your life to Christ. And, and there's been a lot of excitement at this festival about stories of people getting out of wheelchairs and deaf ears hearing and all this mad stuff that God was doing. And, uh, and I did this appeal, if you want to give your life to Christ for the first time, come and stand at the front. And there's about 12 people stood at the front. It's a beautiful moment. And I'm like, excuse me, new wine. 
could you get a bit more excited? This is like the greatest miracle. This is way bigger than people being healed of cancer or jumping out of wheelchairs. This is for all eternity. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, there's no way I'll turn them away. And these people are having their sins forgiven and given a fresh start. And they're going to be in heaven for all eternity. Not because they deserve it, but because Jesus has done everything that was necessary and they've accepted it. So let's get excited that this Christmas we could see salvation growth. At high fields. Maybe even this morning, God, in your mercy, would you save people, rescue people, give them a fresh start, forgive the sins in this place. Can we just bow our heads for a moment, everybody? Just have a little holy moment. It's beautiful to pray with just a couple of people who responded and gave their life to Christ this morning. I don't want to come all the way from Manchester without giving you an opportunity. You, only you truly know where you stand before God. But if you've never committed your life to Christ, never made him Lord and boss of your life and asked him to forgive your sins, promised to live for him with his help, if you've never done that, I would really encourage you to do that. Maybe you've fallen far away from God and you need to come back this morning. You know you do. It's what I did when I was 17. I made a commitment for Christ. I was up to Christ when I was 12, but I was all over the place. But then when I was 17, I fully came back to Christ. I've never looked back. 45 years. I'm so glad I made that decision. So if you're here this morning, I'll just say a little prayer. And then I'd love you just to raise your hand, not to me, but to God. Just to say, I'm in, Lord. Here I am. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow you all the days of your life. And Jesus promises He'll forgive your sins. He'll give you a fresh start and he'll give you a place in heaven and a power to live like it till you get there. Lord, I just pray in this place this morning, in this church, that salvation will spring up. Fresh commitment, fresh desire for you. Thank you, Lord. So if that's you, just in this moment, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Just not to me, but raise your hand to Jesus. Yes, that's beautiful. Yes. Wonderful. Anybody else just need to raise, say yes to Jesus? Just going to give it a moment to. Anyway, yeah. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. You know why? Because one sinner never repents. One sinner is always placed at the center of ever-expanding spheres of influence. And heaven's got some idea what can happen by one laid-down life. Multiply, beautiful. Anybody else just need to raise their hand? Just, I'll just milk this for a moment if you don't mind. Anybody else just to say yes to Jesus? Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Jesus. If you're not a Christian, don't miss this opportunity. Join in. Anybody else? let's all stand and if you raise your hand then maybe there was one and I wasn't there's was definitely one person who had that hand up high all the time maybe there was others who were doing the little but, but it's not about raising your hand it's about meaning business with Jesus let's all mean business in this moment as we just pray a prayer of full surrender I promise you Jesus says yes anybody who comes to me whatever you've done wherever you've been 
He'll forgive your sins and give you a first start. So let's all pray this prayer out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive every sin and give me a fresh start. With your help, Lord, I'll live all out for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose again. Be alive in me, Jesus. Amen. Just give the Lord a round of applause, can we? Lord, we love you. We worship you. You're wonderful. And we say we will invite people to the party. Because you've told us to. And it's the best thing we can do. Amen. I'm going to finish the service by singing a song. And uh, fully enough, I, I haven't sung this song for, the band can maybe come back now. Um, I haven't sung this song, I don't know, for years. But it's such a precious song. And we sang it yesterday at the men's convention. And I told this little story, and then I saw it's on the programme today, so I'm going to say the same thing I said yesterday. It's such a precious song to me, because this song, um, my dad died 32 years ago, and he was exactly the age I am now, 62 and a half, and uh, it makes you think, you know, wow, life's short. And, uh, but my dad was a full-on Christian. He was sent home for the hospital, he had heart disease, uh, to die at home, and he was laying in bed in a bad shape, fighting to breathe. And he said to my mum, Next to him, sing to me, Christine. And my mum got hold of Mission Praise, you know, the old school hymn book. And she started at A, Abba Father. And she sang Abba Father. And the presence of the Lord was in the room. And my dad rallied a bit. And they sang together. And he sang his way out of this world and into the next. And when they got to T, turn your eyes upon Jesus. My dad went to heaven. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that is our future. That is our future. Let's sing this heart song and let the words sink in and just thank Jesus that that is where we're going. The light of your glory and grace for all eternity. And we want to take as many people with us as possible. Amen.